But I want to I want to I want to begin an introduction. And y'all know y'all know me. I'm, I'm I, I, I actually wrote this thing out and then I said I was going to make it shorter. And I and as I went through, I said, but what if they don't know this? But what if they don't know this? But but and, and so I got what I got. Now, 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 here's here's what you have to understand. As a teacher, we often used to use this thing called a KWL. A KWL chart is a chart that you use when you're assessing learning. And what it says is it says the K stands for what knowledge do you already have? What do you know? The W is what do we want to know? And the L at the end is what did we learn? And the problem is, is that many times when you come into a church setting, you don't know what people know. Because I don't know whether you grew up in a church that believed in healing or didn't believe in healing. I don't know whether you grew up in a church where you believe once saved, always saved. If you were getting saved every week because you were scared you were going to go to hell for telling one lie that week. I don't know what you came from. And so what I have to do as a pastor is I have to start with the premise that what you know is that Jesus is good. I assume that because you came to church. And after that, I have to build a foundation for everything else that I want to teach. Pastor Sean has been teaching I guess a while. She's making me preach this morning, I guess. But she's been preaching a while. And she, in the last several weeks, she started talking about daring us to believe God. And it took me back to several years ago when I used to ask my spiritual mother. And some of you have heard this before. I used to ask my spiritual mother, Pastor, Pastor Cynthia. I used to say to her, how do you get manifestation?" I used to get so frustrated because here's what she used to say. Believe God. I said, okay, but what does that mean? It means to believe God. The problem I discovered in my life that I have discovered in most of your lives is that we do believe God, but we believe God, but, and the but is typically predicated on our self-effort. So Pastor Sean is telling us that we need to dare to believe God. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about believing God in spite of. Because the truth of the matter is, the thing that gets in our way is not God, but us. So let me begin. This morning, I want to talk to you from this series. And today is just going to be an introduction. And it may take me two Sundays to get through the introduction. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that if you hang with me for the next several weeks, I am going to walk you through the premise of what it means to believe God and how to get yourself out the way in doing so. So today I want to begin this series. And if you take, for those of you that take notes or those of you who, who need, need titles, it's called Moving Beyond the Mechanics of Faith. Moving Beyond the mechanics of faith. Now, why is that important? Because in the word of faith movement, and we are part of that word of faith movement, we are a non-denominational, charismatic, Pentecostal church. That's who we are. We all of that. We believe in the gifts, but we also believe in the word. We also believe in the laying on our hands. We believe in speaking in tongues. We also believe in prayer, and we believe in the practicality of you doing the right thing. We believe all of it. We are a balanced ministry, amen? And so I want to talk about moving beyond the mechanics of faith. 
I said this last week, and I think it's important for you to understand. Most of us have been in a math class before, whether that was in elementary school, middle school, junior high, high school, college, grad school, whatever. You've been in a math class before. And in that math class, how many of you have ever been in a math class, and while the teacher was working the problem on the board, you knew exactly what was going on? I mean, if you were trying to find an angle and the teacher was telling you that you had to take this side and this side and do this and do that, you could follow that. You understood it. The problem is most of the time we only understood that from a concrete standpoint. How do I know? Because when we went home after we had slept a day and we had to work the problem, we struggled with the problem that we knew how to do when, we would, when the teacher was doing it in class. Why? Because we did not have an abstract understanding of what was going on. When we talk about faith, most of us understand it concretely. Pastor, what do you mean? If I say, okay, tell me the ABCs of faith. Most of you can say, well, the A stands for asking. Everybody know that when you need something, you got to do what? Ask for it. If I say, what is the B in faith? What's the B in ABCs of faith? Most of you would say what? Believing. Believing. Okay? If I said, what is the C in, in the ABCs of faith? Most of you would say what? Confessing. So we know, we know to ask, we know to believe, and we know to confess. But here's the question. If we know to do it, why don't we see it? And the truth of the matter is we know it intellectually. We don't know it spiritually. And the reason we don't know it spiritually is because most of us, myself included, was introduced to Christ with this idea that we have to be good enough to receive Christ. Now, it's funny we don't do it with salvation. What do we tell people? We say, come to church just as you are. Okay? People say, well, I got to get myself together first. You say, no, no, no. You don't have to do that. All you got to do is just come as you are. Just believe God just as you but then after they get saved, we predicate everything God's going to do for them based on their behavior. Now, you think about that. You don't have to act good enough for God to save you, but you got to act good enough for God to do something for you. And because we've been introduced to Christ that way, everything with our believing based on that. Let me show you. So here's my introduction. Many Christians struggle with what I call self-effort phobia. Self-effort phobia, which is a fear that if they do not do enough and if their performance isn't stellar enough, that the things that they are believing for will not come to pass. Even if we can't articulate it, people give reasons for why God hasn't blessed them. They say things like, well, I should have prayed more. I should have been more faithful. I should have gave more. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And because that is an internal messaging system, even though you may articulate something different out of your mouth, what's working on the inside of you is what's real. I'll give you a prime example. Anybody in here afraid of snakes? Okay. Wow. All right. Okay, I thought I got one or two, but let's start something else. Anybody afraid of spiders? Well, Y'all just get everything. If I got the biggest snake that you ever saw, 
And I told you, this snake won't bite you. And I started walking towards you. Even if you said you wasn't afraid, your body would tell on you. Pastor, how's this going to tell? It's going to start to shake. Your knees going to buckle. Your body fluids may start going different places. Why? Because no matter how you try to mask what's on the outside, what's on the inside of you is always going to ring true. So even if you say, Pastor, I don't believe God's going to bless me based on my behavior. Everything on the inside of you says you're lying. Why? Because the moment something don't go your way, you start thinking about what you did wrong. But I'm going to walk you through and I'm going to show you that you don't have the ability to stop God from blessing you if he wants to. No matter how, people all oh, passing now, wait a minute. Listen, no matter how bad you think you are, if God decides to bless you, you can't stop him. Conversely, no matter how good you think you are, you can't get God to bless you if you don't want to. So God's blessings is not based on your own self-effort. Watch this. In other words, when I talk about this self-effort phobia, what, what people are, are really saying is that they aren't really, in their hearts, they're not really God-focused as much as they're really focused on their own performance. They're not really focused on God's ability to do something as much as it is their belief about what it takes to get God to move. Hear me, there is a difference between performing to try to do what Jesus has already done and performing as a result of faith in what we have already received. You can't act well enough to get God to do something. How do we know? Anybody act well enough to get saved? Now, I count myself out because I was a little ratchet growing up. But I'm sure some of y'all was real, real good. But were you good enough to save yourself? All right. Anybody in here think you were so bad that you couldn't get saved? That's what I thought. So that none of our behavior dictates what God can do once he sets something in motion to do it. So why do we spend our life trying to perform to get God to do that, which he said he's already done. The question is, is because internally we believe because of what we've been taught that our behavior somehow trumps his sovereignty. In fact, if you have been taught that God's blessings are dependent on our works, as many people have been, then grace will challenge your mindset. In fact, when I start teaching this, you will feel pushback against me because you won't agree that somehow you have been stopping God from blessing you because you will say, no, the reason God didn't bless me is because I didn't do X. But the problem is, it's not that you didn't do X, it's that you didn't believe. See, grace is all about believing. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. Grace, grace 
is all about believing. It's all about believing and receiving, and it's not about working and deserving. Grace is not about working and deserving. You cannot work your way into salvation. You cannot work your way into God being good to you. You can't, you, you, you don't deserve everything that God has done for you. You, 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 don't, you don't have the merit in order to stand before God and to demand that anything that you have, you are worthy of. Everything you have, every breath you take is a benefit of God's goodness. Understand something. The law of Moses locked the people into continual self-effort. When the people were under the law of Moses, everything they received, they received it because they did something. That, that is the reason that when they had to have asked for forgiveness of sins, they had to keep sacrificing over and over and over and over and over and over every single time they sinned. Why? Because, they, because their self-effort was in play under the law of Moses. But the Bible says there's a man and he came and his name was Jesus. It says, and Jesus came, and when Jesus came, he came to do away with the law of Moses and to give us a better covenant. See, the old covenant said, if Kedron messed up, Kedron had to give a sacrifice. And then Kedron was in, was good, was in right standing. The new covenant says, I'm going to forgive you for every sin you have ever done, you are doing, or will ever do. And once I do that, it is finished forever. So now you don't have to worry about what you did because what you did has already been taken care of. Yeah, see, the fact you didn't tear this church up with that lets me know that you're still not there yet. Because the reality of it is what we have done in religion is we have told people and we have kept people in bondage by telling them that your behavior Dictates what God can do for you. If you don't live right, God ain't going to bless you. You don't act right, God ain't going to bless you. You don't give right, God ain't going to bless you. And we have all these rules about what we have to do in order to receive from God. But God is never waiting on us to do the right thing in order to bless us because he's looking at the right thing, his son Jesus. It's because of his mercies we are not consumed. But the mercy that he does is he doesn't look at me as strict. He looks at me, but he sees Jesus. Just tell your neighbor, they'll get this. Say, neighbor, I know this seems strange, but God is really being good to the Jesus in you. That's why he's so good to you, not because of you, per se. He's so good to you because you're covered in the blood of Jesus, and when he looks at you, he looks at Jesus. You are indistinguishable, indistinguishable between the two. I tell people all the time, I'm good to my kids, because when I'm good to my kids, I'm good to me. They are indistinguishable. So what I'm doing for them, it's not really that I'm doing for them. I'm doing for them, but I'm doing for me. When the father is good to you, he's good to you, but because you are in the son. 
So when Pastor Sean says to us several weeks ago, I dare you to believe God, understand that daring to believe God can only be done through grace. You got to move beyond the mechanics of faith. You got to move beyond this idea of I know what the scripture says about believing. I know what the scripture says about confessing. I know what the scripture says about about asking. And you got to get to the place where you can ask yourself the hard question. But do I believe God? So let's talk about what believing God looks like. Let's go to Romans chapter seven, verse five. Because relying on our own efforts every time we do it puts us back under the law of Moses. Shout, I'm free. free. But if you put yourself in handcuffs, are you free? Are you? You can't move. Think about this. If I am free, but I put myself in handcuffs, am I free? No. But if I got the key to take the handcuffs off and on whenever I want to, I got freedom. That's what it looks like when you're living living between believing in self-effort and what Christ has already done for you. When you trust in God, you're free. When you're looking at your own self-effort, you put yourself in chains. Here's what he says. He says, for when we were in the flesh, watch this, the motions of sin, which were by what? The what? It says, it did work in our members. And what was it doing? It was working to bring forth fruit unto what? Death. You got to look at this. He says, for when we were in the flesh and understand that in this context, this word flesh means to be under the law. So read it like this. When we were under the law, the motions of sins, which were by the law, they did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto what? Death. So when we were in the flesh, when we were under the law of Moses, the only outcome was death. Now, think about what I just said. Anytime you are living in self-effort, you put yourself back under the law. Anytime you look at yourself to see whether or not God's going to do something, you are putting yourself back in this context of putting yourself in self-effort and in the flesh. And when you do it, it only has one outcome, which is to bring forth what? The fruit of what? Death. Now, now, now what? stay with me. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 3, and then we're going to look at verse 15. Now, notice this, because we're going to build a foundation here. It says, and it shall come to pass, if thou shalt. Now, when it says, if thou shalt, what does that mean? It's a conditional. It means if you do it, it'll happen. Many people think that some things just happen, but they don't just happen. He says, and it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently, Unto the voice of the Lord thy God to do what? Observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. It says, and all the blessings shall come on thee. They shall overtake thee. And if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shall thou be in the city and blessed shall thou be in the field. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Understand, under the law, perfect performance was required before any blessing could be received. Perfect 
performance. Could you imagine where your life would be right now, even on your job, if perfect performance was required in order for you to be paid? Could you imagine what it would be like as, as a person if, and some people live under this, if your parents require perfection of you in order to love you? Perfect perfection was required under the law in order for any blessing to be received. And because of that, God saw an issue with that. He said, you don't have the ability to be perfect. Now, I know some of you think you are, but you're not. You don't have the ability to be perfect. You don't have the ability to never miss it. You don't have the ability to never miss the mark. And God knew that. And so as a result, he set something in motion so that you and I didn't have to worry about self-effort and perfection. And it's found in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, let's take a look and see what he says. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. perfection was required for every blessing. Say, but God. Uh-huh. It was required, but God. What did God do? He was rich in his, in his mercy, and he gave us an out. So what's the out that he gave us? Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the what? Law. What law? The law of Moses. The same law that says you had to be perfect in order for everything to work for you. It says you were, because Adam had sinned and because we were born after the same similitude of Adam, it says everything we did had to be perfect in order to move God. But the Bible says that Christ came and he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, now this, this, this word redeem is a powerful, powerful word. Imagine that you, that, that, imagine a person here, right? And this person has $100. Imagine person A lets person B borrow $100. Now, stay with me. Person A has the $100, right? They let person B borrow the money. Who still is the rightful owner of the $100? Person A. But imagine person C comes along. And person C says to person A, here is the $100 for person B. Now can person A still ask person B for the money? That's why the devil can't require perfection of me anymore. Because person A loaned person B something. Person B owed person A. But person C came and paid the debt. So now person B is no longer in bondage or in debt to what person A required. That's why we say bravo Jesus. Whenever you borrow something, there's a thing on the borrowing called interest. So when person A loaned $100 to person B, person B wasn't required just to pay back the $100. Person B had to pay back the $100 with interest. So person C comes along and pays person A. Person A didn't just get what they let person B have. They got everything person B owed and the interest. That's why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You have been bought back, not what you owed, but what you owed and the interest. 
So what used to require perfection on my behalf no longer requires perfection. People ask this question, and for years I didn't know it until a few years ago, and the Holy Spirit just blew me away with it. Y'all Bible scholars, you remember when we read about Abraham? And you know Abraham started off, and, and, and he went to this place, and, and, and he, he lied. Even if it was a small lie, because Sarah was his half-sister. He said, oh, this isn't my wife, this is my sister. And the Bible says, and God did what? He blessed Abraham. Anybody in here ever wonder, and be honest, you ever wonder, now how did God bless him if he told a lie? Anybody, come on, be honest, anybody ever thought that? And you know why we thought it? Because we're looking at self-effort. He didn't bless Abraham because Abraham lied. He didn't bless Abraham because Abraham didn't lie. He blessed Abraham because there's a little thing that said he believed God. Come on. I asked the Lord one time, I said, why did you bless Abraham if he lied like that? He did it the first time, and then he went and did it again the second time. How do you keep blessing him if he lied? He said, because I don't bless people based on what they do. He said, I bless people based on who they believe. And Abraham believed that when I told him I was going to make him a father of many nations, he believed it. That's why I blessed him. But we struggle because we believe that God blesses us based on what we do. You ain't convinced yet. Let me show you something. Everything we have under the new covenant, we receive through Jesus. We did not receive anything under the new covenant based on our performance. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you cannot perform well enough to receive anything under the new covenant you can't you can't you can't you can't you can't and i know it bothers religious people because religious people want to control people they want to tell you that you better not do that you better not say that you better not go there you better not do this you better not do that and they want to put all of these things on you so that you can look like something on the outside but don't have anything on the inside And I always get this question. So pastor, and whenever they do it like that, you know they're about to ask something crazy. So pastor, you mean to tell me that I could be out here smoking and drinking, having sex, doing this, doing that, and God will still bless me? I'm like, you still living, ain't you? That's the blessing. You still living and you still doing all that. So if he'll bless you to live, he'll bless you with some other stuff. We don't do all of those things because we can. We don't do those things because we know who we are. You can never legislate someone into good behavior. And the church has tried to legislate people into good behavior. And what we have done is we've raised a whole bunch of people in the church who know how to act right, but they can't believe God. And that's why they don't receive anything from it. That's why they don't receive anything, because we know how to act right, but we're not believing God. We're believing in what we do. Understand something. Christ paid the ultimate ransom. And he delivered us from being cursed for our inability to perform according to the law's requirements. He, came, he said, you can't do it, so I'm going to do it for you. 
And he, he, he became the ransom for our sakes. Jesus works, not our works, has positioned us to receive every blessing that we have. All we have to do is learn how to believe God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1 through 30. Now, now look at this. It says, 1 Corinthians 1 through 30, it says, But of him are ye in Christ. Now notice this. It says, But of him are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Understand, only by his doing are we in Christ. You didn't even put yourself in Christ. Even when you came to him, you didn't put yourself into him. Even when you cried out to him, you didn't put yourself into him. Christ put you in him so that you no longer had to perform for what he wants to do for you. In other words, we are not blessed by our own performance or our own self-effort. Jesus in us is what gives us wisdom. It is Jesus in us that makes us righteous. It is Jesus in us that sanctifies us. And it is God who makes us holy, not ourselves. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, there is no action that makes you holy. There is no action. I grew up in the church of God in Christ, and we talked about holiness all the time. We talked about holiness all the time. Everything was about holiness. Don't watch this on TV. That's unholy. Don't go to ball games on Friday night. That's unholy. Make sure you wear a skirt that's two sizes too big and two sizes too long because you want to be holy. Everything was holy. We we couldn't play Monopoly because you had to roll dice in the game. That was unholy. You couldn't play, you couldn't play Uno because it was a card game, because that was unholy. We had all of these things that was unholy, and all of them was based on things that we did. But I read somewhere over in Peter. He says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. In other words, be in me, and holiness is in you. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say be holy and and don't do all these things. He said the condition of holiness is to be in me. Because if you're in me, I'm holy and I've done away with everything that's unholy. So even if you step into unholiness, it can't get on you because I've already made you like Teflon. And then people get deep. They go, yeah, that's, it's one thing to step in it, but if you stay in it. But that ain't biblical. That ain't biblical nowhere. There's nothing biblical that says when Christ be in you, if you step in sin and stay in sin, now Christ ain't in you. That's not biblical. That is a self-effort fulfilling prophecy. The fact of the matter is if Christ is in you, you so unrelate to sin that if you find yourself in it, it repulses you. So if you are not being repulsed by sin, you got to ask yourself, what are you in? Or who are you really in? Because to be in him is to be repulsed by what's not in him. 
So the question ain't, is God going to bless you? It's what you think about you. Understand this. When Jesus says we are holy, we are holy right then and there. When Jesus says we are healed, we are healed right then and there. When Jesus says we are debt free, we are debt free right then and there. When Jesus says we are delivered, we are delivered right then and there. Not when our spiritual fruit begins to show. In fact, we will never experience the fruit until we first believe we're in him. You don't believe you're saved till you eat him. You got to come and meet him and get in him and then you say you're saved. You're not saved before you get in him. But the moment you're in him is the moment you're saved. Think about this. We do not believe as Christian believers, especially in this house, that we are only saved once we get to heaven. We believe we saved right now. Any saved folk in the building? So you saved right now. Why are you saved? Because you're in it. Well, that's why you're healed right now. That's why you're delivered right now. That's why you're dead free right now. Not when you get to heaven, not when the healing comes, not when the deliverance shows up, but when you believe that you are in him. So believing is this powerful force. It's a force that has to supersede whatever is in your intellectual processor. And the problem with our intellectual processors, the problem that's wrong with our mind, is that we have been trained through life experiences that we get what we perform for. We get what we perform for. You want to raise on your job? You better perform. You want to start in front of somebody else on the team? You better perform. You want people to think you're great? You better perform. But when it comes to Christ, he's not into the performance matrix. He's not looking for us to perform. He is looking for us to believe. So much so, the Bible says it like this. It says that Abraham believed God and God used an accounting principle to deal with Abraham. He said Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him as righteousness. Now, why did God do that? Because he, we know that righteousness only came through Jesus. But Jesus wasn't there yet. But he did something that reflected Jesus. So when he believed, God went and took the righteousness that was going to come through Jesus and he put it in accounts receivable for Abraham. So that Abraham could make a draw on the accounts receivable in a time and dispensation when he wasn't supposed to. I'm telling you, it's some stuff that you ain't even supposed to have access to yet. It's some stuff that's supposed to be down the road for you. But if you learn to access that righteousness through Jesus, you can supersede time and go get what belongs to you. That's why I tell people when people tell me, well, you know, they say I have to work 10 years in my field before I can be in management. Says who? Says who? Because that's a natural effect. But you can snatch into the righteousness of Christ Jesus and go get your management job seven years earlier. The question is, not are you performing well enough, but are you believing? It comes down to what you believe. How do I know? Let's look at Romans 4. The process of transformation begins with the acceptance of of the root of righteousness. Hear me. The process of transformation begins with the acceptance of the root of righteousness. Jesus Christ is the root. Amen. 
in any, any, any plant, any tree, whatever, anything that has a root, if the root is rotten, the tree's going to be rotten. That's why the Bible talks about being like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. Why? Because if the roots are reaching out to the stream, it's always going to have a supply. Here's what's interesting. The tree can be over here. The stream may be over there. But if the roots get over there, what's over there is going to get on what's here. Your promotion may be over there. Your healing may be over there. Your deliverance may be over there. But if you get with the root, it has the ability to reach everything that you need. Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 6 says this. It says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham, watch this, were justified by works, if Abraham were justified by works, he whereof to glory. Now, I hate it to read like this. Here's what it's saying. It said, if Abraham was justified by his works, he'd have a reason to brag. If Abraham got everything he got because he was so dope, he could brag about it. If Abraham got everything that he got, he became the father of many nations because he was so smart, because he had everything going on, Abraham could brag about it. But the Bible says, he had wherefore of to glory, but not before God. It says, if all this happened because he was so dope, he could, he could boast about it, but he still couldn't boast before God about it. It says, for what saith the scripture? Abraham, watch this. What's that word after Abraham? What is it? What is it? Shout it. What is it? He believed who? That was the condition for which he got blessed. That was the criteria. Abraham believed God. And when he did it, it was counted unto him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham did something, and when he did it, God looked at it and said, that looks like Jesus, therefore you get the benefits of what Jesus has. How do we know that Jesus believed God? He says, I came to do only what the Father sent me to do. I can only speak what the Father told me to speak. Jesus believed God, and it was well for him. Therefore, Abraham believed God, it was well for him. If you believe God... Somebody preaching this morning. Say that. Say, if I believe God, say, it will be well for me. Now watch this. He says, Abraham believed God and it was, counted, it was counted unto him for righteousness. It says, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of a debt. He says, and I, and I thought about this. Pastor asked me one time, she said, she said, what would you do if you could do it for free? She said, well, what job would you do? I said, nothing. There is not a J-O-B I would do for free. Not a job. Why? Because if I give you my time and my effort, I want to be compensated. So he says, if you give of your time and effort, it becomes a debt to you. So if everything you do is about self-effort, whatever you get is actually a debt, not a gift. God is not into giving us debts. So if you work for it and you get paid for it, it's because you exchange time and effort in order to get it. 
But the Bible says, but to him that worketh not, but does something else, believe it. On him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I know this seems simple, but I'm telling you, this is, this is revelation for you. Some of you need to stop trying to perform to get God to do something. You need to work on your thinking, feeling cycle and understand that you've already been justified. What you need to work on is believing God in spite of. In spite of yourself. Notice this. He says, but him that work is not, but believeth unto him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It says, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. In other words, God considered Abraham's righteous because of Abraham's faith. It was apart from his own self-effort. If you look in your Bible, there are so many great men and women of God who made mistakes. One of the people we talk about all the time is King David. King David committed adultery. He made a woman commit adultery. And then to cover it, he had her husband killed. And on top of that, when the prophet came to him and told him about it, David was indignant. Like, who would do such a thing? You! Nathan was like, it was you, David! You did these things. And we talk about David and we talk about how great David was. You know why? Because we focus on him believing God, not his mess ups. Now think about this. If you can do it for David, why don't you do it for you? If you can focus on David being that way, why not focus on you? The problem is, is that you look at what you did or didn't do and then you disqualify yourself. If you disqualify yourself, even though blessings are available for you, you block them because you don't believe. All the promises of God are received how? By, by faith. So in the eyes of God, true righteousness is by faith. Let's look at Philippians 3 and 9. So I say, why is this important? Because you're going to be frustrated for years to come if you keep saying you believe God and you don't understand that you are believing God, but you're believing it based on your own self-effort. People ask me all the time why things work out for me. I tell people because God loves me. Listen, my life is as well as it is because God loves me. It ain't because I'm a pastor. It ain't because I'm smart. It ain't because of how much word I know. I happen to just learn to believe God. I just believe God. And I, pastor, and I know that's frustrating for some people because it was so frustrating for me. Pastor Cynthia, we used to say, why don't you just believe God? What does that mean? What does it mean to believe God? It means to throw all caution to the wind about your own behaviors. You trust what he said as absolute. Philippians 3 and 9 says this, and he and and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. Notice this. He says my own law, my own. When you're dealing with your own righteousness, it's of what? The law. When you're talking about your own self-effort, it puts you back under the law. It says, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God. How? By faith. By faith. My righteousness is by faith. Righteous people deserve things. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Righteous people deserve things. Anybody in this place righteous? Then you deserve some things. 
So when you disqualify yourself of deserving of something, you're calling yourself unrighteous. To call yourself unrighteous, you would have to be out of Christ. So when you put yourself out of Christ, what ends up happening is you put yourself in a position not to receive. Not because God doesn't want to bless you, but because you're focused on your own effort. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Therefore, since we have been made what? Right. In God's sight, New Living Translation, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Understand, he says that you and I, when we put ourselves in this position of righteousness, we start getting things we don't deserve. Anybody want some stuff they don't deserve? The truth of the matter, that's the best stuff. The best stuff is, does anybody in here work a job, they pay you, you go, woo, they paid me. You know why you don't do that? Because you feel like you deserve to get paid. Now, if you go to your account on next Friday, see, some of y'all got happy just thinking about it. And instead of what they regularly give you, they add three more zeros to it. You like, oh, suck it, suck it now. Yeah, why, why? Because you got something you didn't deserve. Every time you open your eyes in the morning, you getting something you don't deserve. Every time you can see your kid healthy, you're getting something you don't deserve. Every time you can smile and you got a roof over your head, you're getting something you didn't deserve. But the problem is, is we focus on what we do to get certain things. Let's go to Romans 3, and I'm going to stop at Romans 3 for today. Romans 3, 22 and 23. You should really, Romans is so good. The Apostle Paul spends a lot of time in the book of Romans trying to establish our righteousness. Oh, I'm, I'm going to read from to you. Let's, let's, let's do this one. I'm going to read one more thing to you. Romans 3, 22 through 23 says this. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. How do we get made right? By, by praying enough. By giving enough. By serving in enough ministries. Based on how we tear up the church when we shout. I don't know what anybody else wants. You give people answers sometimes like, it's got to be more than that. It's not. It's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's, how you, that's how you are made right. That's what holiness is, placing your faith in Jesus Christ. It says, and this is true for everyone who what? Believes. No matter who we are, for everyone has already what? Sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short. So it's not about sin. In fact, I want to read something to you. And, and, and we're going to stop, but I want, I, want, I want to read something to you out of Galatians chapter 3. 
The Apostle Paul so tried to drive this point home. I love Galatians 3 for this reason. I love the language in it. Because here's what you got to understand. You read the Bible sometimes, and we read it in the King James, and it, and it sounds real formal. But you know people didn't speak that way. People spoke with emotion. And, and, when, you, and you, when you read Paul's account, when he is talking to uh, the Galatians, he is, he is livid with them. And notice what he says. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. He says, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if it had been, as, as if it had been seen in a picture of his death on the cross. He says, let me ask you this one question. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? He says, in case you think you did, let me tell you, of course not. He said, you received the spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. He said, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? He said, have you experienced so much for nothing? He said, surely it was not in vain, was it? He says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? He says, of course not. It is because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. He says, in the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. He says, now the real children of Abraham, then are those who put their faith in God. He said, what's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. He says, God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ shall share the same blessing that Abraham received because of his faith. Hear me, when we use our faith to believe what Jesus has done, not as an attempt to get God to do something for us, our faith has a positive result. Our faith has a positive result. This same, this same verbiage is found in Galatians 3, 1 through 6, the message. You should read it when you get home. You should highlight it when you get home. It's off the, it's off the chain. You, you, see, sometimes we act like people in the Bible didn't have emotion. Jesus had emotion. When Jesus asked him, oh, ye, a little faith, he didn't say, oh, ye, a little faith. How long must I suffer thee? He didn't say it like that. He got up out. They woke him. Have you ever been woken up out of your sleep? Are you happy when somebody wake you up out of your sleep? Jesus had told him, he said, we're going to the other side. Now, I'm going to go take a nap. Wake me up when we get to the other side. They got, the, the, the Bible says the winds came and the ship got to rocking and blowing. The Bible says, and they got scared. They started talking about who they could throw overboard, what they could throw overboard. They said, you, you need to wake up Jesus. And then they woke him up and said, Jesus, do you not care? We about to die. You sleep. Do you not care? Now, first of all, they woke the man up. I'm sure he was tired. He had been preaching all day. The Bible says they had preached to multitudes on the shore before they went to the other side. So he's tired now. He's asleep. 
They done woke him up screaming and yelling. Ain't nothing worse to be woken up with somebody screaming and yelling. And then you ask me a question, do I not care? If I didn't care, you wouldn't be here. So Jesus says to them, oh, ye of little faith. I told you we was going to the other side. A storm doesn't dictate that. Some of y'all just missed that. I told you you're healed. A doctor's report doesn't dictate that. I told you the house is yours. Three no's don't make it so. I told you the job was yours just because they said no this time don't mean they ain't going to call you back. What do you mean do I not care? Oh, ye of little faith. That's what he said to the Galatians. Look at what he says to him in the message translation. He said, you crazy Galatians. He said, what's wrong with you? Did somebody put a hex on you? This is in the message translation. He said, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your entire senses? He says, something crazy has happened to you. For it is obvious that you no longer have the crucified Christ in clear focus. He says, his sacrifice on the Christ was certainly set before you clearly enough. Next verse. He says, now let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? He said, or was it by working, was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? Are we going to continue this craziness? Are we going to continue this craziness where we keep determining whether God's going to do something for us based on what we have done? Are you crazy, FOC? No. That's what Paul was saying to him. Are you crazy? Have you lost your everlasting mind? He says, for only crazy people would think they could complete by their own effort what was begun by God. He said, you got to be insane. You got to be out of your mind. You got to be a fool to think you got enough effort to complete what God started. You can't build what God started building. You ain't strong enough. You ain't smart enough. You ain't got enough resources. What God start doing in you can only be finished by him. What God is doing for you can only be finished by him. What God's going to do through you can only be finished by him. He just needs you to get out the way. He says, if you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose he didn't even say, how do you suppose you could finish it? Because let's say that you could finish it. It would look like mess. Let's say that you had enough effort that you could go and finish what God started. It wouldn't look like what God was doing. And that's exactly what we do sometimes. God starts something and we jump ahead of God and we go do the whole thing and then it turns out a whole mess. He says, if you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? He said, did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It is not yet a total loss, though. Praise God. 
It ain't a total loss yet. But, if it, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. If you keep believing that somehow your behavior dictates what God can do for you, it's going to be a total loss. He says, now answer me this question. Does the same God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives that you could never do for yourself, does he do those things because of your strenuous moral striving or simply because you trust in him to do them in you because he said he would? This is our foundational question. Are we believing God to do all of this stuff in us because of our strenuous moral strivings? Because we pray enough? Because we give enough? Because we don't curse? We don't drink? We don't smoke? We don't have sex outside of marriage? We don't participate in this? We don't participate in that? The whole litany of things that the church has laid out. He says, do you think God can only do those things for you if you keep this list? Or do you think he can do it because he said he could? Next verse, he says this. He says, happened among you just as they happened with Abraham. For Abraham believed God, and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. At this time, we usually have an altar call. And we say, if you want to get your life right with God, just come up to the altar. Just repent of all of your sins, and the Lord will forgive you. We ain't doing that. You want to get right with God? Make a decision you believe in today. Believing is a choice. I happen to believe that I am a member of the greatest fraternity in the world. Don't you happen to believe that about yours? Don't you happen to believe that about yours? Don't you have to believe that about your sorority? Don't you have to believe about yours? Don't you have to believe it about yours? Don't you have to believe about yours? If you don't believe it, it ain't so for you. I happen to believe I serve a God who is bigger than any problem I could ever face. I happen to believe that in spite of all of my mess ups, it ain't tripping up God. In spite of all the stuff I still do wrong, I don't believe it is holding God back from being good to me. I reread a scripture. It said the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth seeking whom he can show himself strong to. He didn't mention our behaviors. He didn't say the eyes of the Lord run to and fro looking for somebody who's perfect. He said, I'm just looking for somebody I can show myself strong to. I'm looking for somebody who will be bold enough to say, God, I just believe you. God, I know I ain't right, but, I, but, 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 but what I do know is I believe you, God. 
I, I, I know there's some areas in my life that I still need to grow, and I'm working on it. But that don't stop you from doing what you need to do right now. And so, God, I receive everything you're going to do for me. I believe I receive it right now today. God, I thank you that what you said is good enough for me. Your word is good enough. I believe everything I need is available because you said it, not because of my own efforts. I am through being a foolish Galatian. I am done letting what this is the reason this message upsets people so not you in the body though because if I tell you God will bless us all and it's not based on behavior then how do I get to be better than you because what you do is worse than me I sin, but you show no sin. So it has to be in order. But God didn't care nothing about that. He sent Jesus to deal with all of it. So for the sake of argument, let's say that you are in sin today. Hear me. It doesn't stop God from blessing you. Ooh, but Harold, people, people, oh, pastor, you can't tell people that. I didn't. The Bible did. What we've been doing is changing the Bible. The difference is like this. My wife wants me to love her, but she doesn't want me to love her because she's holding a gun to my head to do it. If she got to hold a gun to my head and say, do you love me? Yeah, baby. I love you. Now, I said the words, but, but that is, and she got what she desired, but is that how you want it? And if it is, we have a healing service for you. Because you shouldn't want love from someone who has to hold a gun to your head for it. So God says to us, I have made a better way for you. I've made a way. I've given you a plan that if you follow, your life will be infinitely better just because you follow it. There are some consequences and repercussions that you don't have to deal with if you just do it my way. But even if you don't do it, don't do it my way, I don't take my blessings from you. That's hard for people to get. It's why we don't understand the father of the prodigal son. It's why we have a trouble with, that's why we have a problem with him. Because most of us, if we're honest, if we had two kids and one stayed home and did what he was supposed to, and the other one went off and spent all of his life inheritance and then came back, we'd be like, hmm, come back here for. The Bible says he went and looked for his son every day to see if he was running around that corner. And when he saw him, it says he prepared a robe and a ring and he ran out and he met him and he greeted him. And most of us, even if we can get past that, the part we don't get past is if we was the brother who stayed home. Well, I've been here all this time. I've been serving in the house. How is it that somebody come off the street and come to FOC and they get blessed and I've been paying my tithe? 
I've been serving in the ministry. I've been helping in the parking lot. I've been on the praise team. I've been in the parking lot. I've been serving Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean. I've been doing all these things, and I ain't got my blessing yet because you think it's about what you've done. And as long as you think it's about what you've done, the work that Christ started in you can never be finished because you ain't big enough and you ain't strong enough and you ain't smart enough and you ain't deep enough to get it done. So this morning, if you don't get anything out of this rambling message that I gave you, get this. I am good enough just as I am. Yes. Now, 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 we're a church of improvement. You, 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 you all want to improve. But, you, but the improvement is not based on the blessing. You don't have to improve to be blessed. You can receive from God today in whatever state you're in if you decide to. You can say, God, I'm through thinking I got to be X before you can do this. I just receive it. I just receive it. And if you do it, there'll be some things start to turn around in your life. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, do not continue to be one of those foolish Galatians. Come on and give the Lord some praise.